Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Well, we are in the end of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And it has been said that, uh, in fact, I've said it, that 2 Corinthians actually gives us the best and most intimate look at the Apostle Paul, who's one of the most fascinating men in the Bible. And Paul was an amazing man of God, a man through whom God gave us most of the New Testament, a man who endured more suffering in the name of Christ than any other New Testament saint. And Paul walked the path in the way of our Lord Jesus, of whom the prophet Isaiah said, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and pain and acquainted with grief. And that was Paul's path. And Paul was a man whose love and commitment to and for Jesus was really, truly supernatural. Paul was a spiritual man who lived from the inside out, something we're just learning to do. All of this is true, but a truly spiritual man gives you a greater insight into the heart of the Father than he gives you into his own humanity. And that's why with all that we know about Paul, we know very little about Paul. We know a great deal about his God. That's when what we saw when we saw Jesus Christ when he walked the earth as a man. And that's what we see in Paul. Paul's life can't be explained in terms of his humanity. Paul, in his living life on earth, exhibited a supernatural life, just as Jesus showed us the Father through his humanity. Paul shows us Christ through his humanity. And you know what, beloved? That's what the Christian life is. That is the truth of the Christian life. That's why we're here. It's not what we can emulate It's not what we can try to create with God's help. It is Christ's life expressed through our humanity. A supernatural life that's lived from the inside out. And we are spiritual creatures whose life source is the spirit of Christ, even while we are living in the body. We are branches attached to the true vine, Christ. We are supernatural beings who live in the natural. We lose track of that, don't we? We lose sight of it. And the minute we begin to see ourselves in our humanity, when we begin to see ourselves as part of the natural, then we become fearful and anxious, and things like these events of nature become threatening and harsh and hard. But when we see ourselves as who we are, we recognize that the one who holds the foundations of the earth in place, the one who can contain the tempest between two fingers, the one who secures the universe by the word of his power, has even greater hold and greater interest in holding you. You. Because you think about it, guys. 
All of this was created to present the truth of himself to you. That's his purpose. You think you're a pea in a shoebox. <laughs> but the shoebox was built for the pea. That's your God. Now that may seem a little extreme, but that's exactly who Paul was. And the difference between Paul and so many other Christian saints is that Paul determined to live in the truth of it. He determined to live that way, and therefore we have in Paul's life a demonstration of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And in looking at 2 Corinthians, we have seen the unconditional love of God being expressed through Paul. We've seen Paul endure merciless attacks. They attacked his appearance, his speech, his personality, his integrity, his ministry, his character. They left nothing untouched. And Paul returned their hostility with the ministry of Christ. What we are seeing is, Father, and I get this, I want you to understand this, because this is the picture of First and Second Corinthians. What we are seeing is the Father's tenacious, unyielding determination to love and mature his children. That's what you're seeing. And you have seen it in your own lives. The false apostles couldn't stop it. And the Corinthians themselves couldn't disregard it. If you're a child of God, you may not want the love and discipline of God. You may not want to grow up. You may want to lay around in soiled clothing and cry about your circumstances. But your father loves you too much to allow you to go unattended. Paul is showing us the father's heart for the Corinthians. And for that matter, every child of God. So today... We're going to attempt to finish up 2 Corinthians. We actually started our journey through Paul's letters to the Corinthians in April of 2015. Yeah, wow. Two years and four months. And what a great time, really, it has been watching the tenacious love of God bring his children out of carnality. And that's what he did. He was tenacious. He is tenacious. The thing about God is, He doesn't wait for us to own Him. He owns us. He doesn't back off. You are mine, He says. I don't care what you think about yourself. I don't care what you think about the surroundings. And furthermore, I don't care what you think about me. It doesn't change the fact that you are mine and I love you. Paul knew that. Paul lived in the truth of that. Next week, we will begin our journey through Paul's letter to the Galatians. One of the greatest articulations of the new covenant. Won't that be fun? Listen, I know some of you are more of the sit and soak types, but uh, God has been a faithful guide to us through his word. And this is not about my preaching. This is about what God has been teaching you through his word. But if your memory is anything like mine, it might be a good idea to write down what God is showing you. It will help you own it. It really will. Now, you may say to me, well, God doesn't really work that way with me, but God worked that way with Paul or we wouldn't have much of the New Testament, would we? The Lord has guided us through Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 
Romans, and now First and Second Corinthians. Now I realize not all of you were there for all of those books, but God is faithful to bring us along, isn't he? Let's look at our text. Second Corinthians 13, verse 1. Paul writes, This is the third time that I'm visiting you. Every fact shall be sustained and confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, Paul is letting the Corinthians know that on his return, he will be invoking church discipline as it was laid out by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. And Paul wants the uh, Corinthians to understand that he is coming to exercise church discipline in the proper way. And there will be discipline if there has not been repentance. Because you recall, as we ended chapter 12, he was telling them, guys, you need to repent. You need to put aside your carnality. You need to quit walking according to the flesh. And Paul is not acting on his own. Now, this is what you've got to think about here. Paul's saying, I'm coming, and I am going to invoke discipline, church discipline. Do you think that was Paul's idea? Now, Paul's been there twice, right? He's been there twice, and each time he's come on his previous visits, he's come with humility and love, seeking to woo their hearts to the Lord. Gentleness. And now he's coming for his third visit. And you know that what Paul, from what Paul has written, he doesn't like confrontation, but he will not steer away from it where it's necessary. He's like any other parent. No parent enjoys having to confront and discipline their children, but they know the necessity of it. And if they truly love their child, if it's not about their selfish control, it's about their loving and bringing the child along, they will discipline them. That's what Paul is telling them. He says, I'm coming. But what's more important is to understand that Paul is going forward in the instruction of the Lord. Paul couldn't invoke true discipline. True discipline. Understand this, parents, and understand this for yourselves. True discipline is a work of God. Because only God can affect the soul. I have done things to myself the same way many times and never learned to stop. Until the Lord put it in my heart and opened my eyes and stopped me. And then I understood the discipline. But I am like a mule without the instruction of the Lord. I'm without reason and understanding. I will not be guided apart from him. Discipline apart from God is not discipline. It is punishment. So Paul is going forward in the instruction of the Lord to establish discipline in this church. Now look at verses 2 and 3. He says, I have already warned those who have sinned in the past and all the rest as well. And I warned them now, even though I am absent from you, as I did when I was with you the second time, that if I come back, I will not spare anyone. Since you seek forensic proof that Christ is speaking in me and through me, he is not weak or ineffective in dealing with you, but powerful within you. So in verse 2, Paul reminds them that both, that, that both in his letters and his visited, visits, 
he has pleaded for repentance. And Paul was like a father to them, and like his heavenly father, he was grieved by their carnality. And this is not just about the poor witness that results from carnality, but as we talked about last time, this is about their serious lack of growth. This is about their spiritual immaturity. This is about the self-inflicted injuries of sin and selfishness. Any good parent would have to respond. And God is responding to it. You want to keep your kid from injuring himself, don't you? Well, you know, we're like toddlers. We will touch the hot stove. We will stick the paper clip in the light socket. We don't know. And it takes a loving parent to say, you know what, that isn't going to work out for you, buddy. And maybe it takes a loving parent to apply discipline to keep us from testing the theory. It did for me anyway. Also, you will remember that the false apostles had sought to undermine Paul's authority in the Corinthian church and his authority as an apostle. And in chapter 3, Paul infers that they wanted him to produce some sort of credentials. Now, this was really unbelievable, and I, I talked about this before. It was unbelievable because Paul founded this church with those that actually were led to the Lord by his preaching, and they're questioning his credentials, right? The false apostles were challenging Paul's authority to instruct or to admonish the Corinthians all the while encouraging the Corinthian carnality. So in verse 3, Paul responds. Now, this is interesting how he does this. He responds to them and he says, Well, since you seek proof, because they had accused Paul of speaking without authority, basically stating his opinion and passing it off as the word of God, which is exactly what they were doing. But that's what they accused him of doing. And you remember Paul's response in chapter 2, verse 17. He says, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, he writes, For we are not like many acting like merchants, peddling God's word, shortchanging and adulterating God's message, but from pure and uncompromised motives, as commissioned and sent from God, we speak his message in Christ in the sight of God. We're not like them. But still, the people listened and joined in with the false apostles, and they called for evidence, they called for proofs, they called for, for Paul to prove that he had a right to exercise authority over the fellowship. So Paul writes in chapter 12, verse 12, he says to them, The signs that indicate a genuine apostle were performed among you fully and most patiently. Signs and wonders and miracles. And it's still... As if their own salvation was not enough. As if establishing the church was not enough. As if the self-sacrifice and unconditional love of Paul was not enough. As if the anointed teaching and preaching was not enough. As if Paul's determination not to profit from them was not enough. God attended Paul's ministry among the Corinthians with signs and wonders and miracles. And still they persisted in unbelief and carnality. Isn't that unbelievable? We do the same thing. I can't tell you how many times I've had to relearn the same lesson. How about that little lesson, God is faithful? How about that one? 
How long? How many times are you going to learn that one? Well, I've got my, my education on that on a loop. Just keeps coming back around. And you know what? I'm grateful for it. Because every time I'm renewed in hope, every time I'm renewed in faith, He is faithful. How about He's my provision? I'm telling you, we look at these people and we say, you know, what kind of stupid is that? Well, it's your brand of stupid. That's exactly right. So, Paul is warning them that the proof of his authority is coming. Now listen to this. He's warning them that the proof of his authority is coming because the Lord will administer severe discipline through his visit and evidence his authority given to Paul. In other words, I'm going to discipline you and then you'll know I'm in charge. I'm going to represent the Lord and he will discipline you and you will know his authority is with me. That is what is going to happen if you do not repent. That's exactly what he's telling them. You want proof? You want forensic evidence? This is how it's going to happen. Since you won't see it any other way, I am going to come and express and induce discipline upon the church body and force repentance among these people or they will be out of there. Then you will know this authority. Now, listen, this is not Paul. Paul is, this is not Paul saying, hey, you just wait, God is going to show you. No, that's not Paul. Paul is saying, look, I have the authority. You have despised the authority. It's like the story of the vineyard's owner's son. And, and they, he sent his servants and they beat and cast them out. And he sent his own son and they said, this is there, we'll kill him. And what do you think is going to happen to them? Well, God sent them a message of love. God sent them a message of reconciliation. God sent them a message of tenderness. God sent them a clarity of his heart for them. And he had given them all of these evidences that I've recounted for you. And they still refuse to repent. And Paul says, well, guess what, guys? You've worn it out. And it reminds me of what my mother used to say. If I have to tell you one more time. The only thing, if you don't know this about my mother... When she said that, she meant it. It was no more, one more time. It was that, and then comes the judgment. But I'm afraid that I earned every bit of it. Now, he says, I'm going to give you proof, because the Lord will administer severe discipline through my visit, and evidence of his authority given to me. And I'm not going to spare anybody, that is, anybody who remains in rebellion. They're not going to be spared. And the false apostles had accused Paul of being weak. He was not a powerful speaker. He did not have an engaging personality. He was not much to look at. From a man's point of view, he was poorly suited for the job. He was weak physically and constantly suffering from one abuse or another. And when he was with them, he was timid and humble. So they said, he's weak. Why do you even listen to this man? He's weak. But you know, Paul was never afraid of being called weak. In fact, he was proud of it. He owned it. He owned it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, he writes, So I am well pleased. He had just gone through this entire litany of all the things he had endured. And he says, So I am well pleased with weaknesses 
with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, and with difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak in human strength, where is human strength? Where is that located? In the flesh, in the body. For when I am weak in human strength, then I am strong. Which eye is he talking about there? Who he is in Christ. Exactly. Truly able, truly powerful, truly drawing from God's strength. Whose strength is it? It's God's strength. So Paul gives them this analogy. Look at verse 4. Here's an analogy that Paul gives to prove the point. He says, for even though he, speaking of Christ, was crucified in weakness, yielding himself, yet he lives resurrected by the power of God, his Father. For we too are weak in him, as he was humanly weak. Yet we are alive and well in fellowship with him because of the power of God directed toward you. Christ himself came in weakness as a man, and as a man he was abused and persecuted, and in his weakness he was crucified. Yet, by the power of God he lives. So we too are weak, and just as, just as he was in his humanity, but our lives are now in union with the resurrected Christ. We are in his fellowship And the power of God flows from us to you. The power of God flows through my weakness. That's what Paul's telling them. Paul's weakness was his qualification for ministry. So Paul tells him that his weakness is attended with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Like the Lord, Paul came to them in weakness, but he will return in power to judge. Now, who's that like? Yeah, that's what he's telling him. That's the picture, the analogy. Verse 5, test and evaluate yourselves. In other words, get ready. Test and evaluate yourselves to see whether you are in faith and living your lives as committed believers. Examine yourselves, not me. Quit looking at me. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself? by an ongoing experience that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test and are rejected as a counterfeit. But I hope you will acknowledge that we do not fail the test, nor are we to be rejected. Now, every man knows the truth of his relationship with the Lord. And look at that little line there. It says, or do you not recognize this about yourself by an ongoing experience that Jesus Christ is in you. How did he recognize it? By an ongoing experience. He didn't recognize it because one day he walked the aisle and got baptized, got a Bible with his name on it. He didn't recognize it because he attended church on Sundays. He didn't recognize it because he was a part of Bible study fellowship. No disrespect intended. He recognized it by an ongoing fellowship, an ongoing relationship. And what he is pointing to, these people are religious. They're part of a church, and a church that had all kinds of manifestations of spiritual power. 
They are part of an ongoing ministry in the midst of deep depravity around them. They are a part of a light in a dark place. And they're calling each other brother and sister and they're walking around saying a glory hallelujah and Jesus is our Lord and he is my Savior and they are carnal as the day is long. There is no relationship. There's no ongoing fellowship. Fellowship is not just the position of Christ within you. Fellowship is you owning the fellowship of Christ within you. That's what he's talking about. That is the affirmation that lets you know that you are truly in fellowship with him. Now, to kind of unpack that a little bit, many of us will say, I don't feel that way all the time. Well, hoop de doo Who does? Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.